0: Prior to the Great Recession, skilled labor was plentiful for us in the housing industry. We had enough skilled tradespeople to build roughly 1.2 to 1.3 million homes per year. Once that recession hit, a lot of these skilled trades, and especially those that we've been growing as leaders uh, within those operations, those that would be the foremen or the next uh, lead on, on their teams, they ran out of work. When permits dropped, starts dropped nearly 60, 70%, 80% in some of the markets, we went down to roughly from 1.2 million starts per year down to about 300 to 400,000 starts per year, significant decline. We lost a tremendous amount of great skilled tradespeople during the Great Recession. And when we came out of the recession and, and housing started to come back, albeit slowly, um, we started to feel a little bit of those labor pains because those people that left did not come back. They they either went out and uh, retrained in a new skill outside of the industry um, and, and then they weren't coming back. So for about uh, 2010 to, to 2013, um, it was a little tough with skilled labor. We continued to try to grow uh, new people coming out of, of schools or out of apprenticeship programs. But once Housing started to really take back off again in 2015, all the way up to 2020, and even through now. Um, the biggest challenge for our industry to keep up with household formations to meet this 1.1 to 1.2 million homes we need to build a year is our biggest problem. Is and the governor on our industry here is, is skilled labor, and Tim O'Brien Homes has been working on this for quite some time. We are in our 11th year of a high school trades program with the Okanawaka High School. School district. We've brought on some other schools, you know, three other ones in the more, two other ones in the Milwaukee area, and one other one in Madison. And there's been some great strides, though, in the last couple of years to really put, get out of the grassroots efforts that we've been doing in high schools and really start to form more structured training in apprenticeship programs for skilled trades. And today, my guest is Danny Lowry. He's the president of our. Madison Tim O'Brien Homes operation and he's going to share what the Madison area Builders Association uh, and, and, and coupled with our involvement in some of our other bigger suppliers and trades people in the Metro uh, Madison area have done to really create more of a formal training center uh, to develop young adults into skilled trades that's men women uh, and and everybody that uh, has an opportunity to really work with their hands, and then have the, also an opportunity to eventually start uh, their own business at some day because it is relatively, uh, Danny, a low barrier to entry here to get into our industry for the most part. Um, but before we get into this, Danny, can you share a little bit about how you got into the home building industry and what got you to this point of managing an, a home building operation in the Madison
1: market? Tim, hi. Thanks for having me on today. It's a it's a uh, honor to be with you. And yeah, I'd uh, you know in a word, of how I got into the home building um, industry is opportunity. Um, and we're going to be talking a lot about that today. I wasn't raised in trades or in the home building industry. My parents never built a new house. I wasn't kind of I had that experience as a kid. Um, but I love to work with my hands and. I kind of attribute, you know, kind of the first love of of working with my hands and building something to my grandfather. He spent uh, most of his summers with us. They they were, you know, snowboard snowbirds down in Florida and they'd come up to Wisconsin in the summers. And uh, he loved to work with his hands. He was always doing projects. He always get me involved. So I think that just I, lo- I love to tinker. I love to build things, automobiles. I remember putting together. A weed whacker when I was probably eight years old, just opening the box and figuring it out. So that's great. I think that was just kind of, the, you know, for me, like a strong piece. And I was, I had a great education. My father was a pastor. I was raised in a small Christian school. And we didn't have the colleges coming into our schools. Uh, we didn't really have anybody coming into our schools. So a lot of it was just kind of figuring out, you know, what do I, what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, so I, I was also pretty artistic. I liked, um, to draw, I was involved in the arts in high school, and uh, I, I thought I thought I'd love architecture, so that's what I went to went to college for. Um, graduated from UW Milwaukee in 2003 with a degree in architecture. But before I went into school, um, I'm I'm from the Sun Prairie, the Madison area. I um, was given an opportunity by a local home builder here in Sun Prairie that hired me, and I worked for him for a summer uh, right out of high school. And um, that was probably my fondest memories of, of, uh, of a high school job was, uh, it was hard work. It was grunt work. I was laying drain tile. I was knocking form ties off of foundations. <laughs> um, all the dirty work, you know, the grunt work for a summer, scrap and drywall. This is at a time when at least the builders around here were still doing a lot of the work themselves, not just yeah. general contracting like we tend to do now. Right, more um, of a master builder format, right? right? Right, So I got to experience a lot of that, um, that summer. Um, so as I got halfway through kind of my, um, post-secondary education in college, I, I just knew I didn't really want to be an architect. Um, but I wanted to get in the home building industry. So that's where my applications and resumes went, um, post-college. So, yeah. And that was, you and I have known each other for 19 years now. Has it been it's 19? Crazy. I
0: remember uh, interviewing you um, when you came into Milwaukee to work for one of our former employers um, before you came to work for Tim O'Brien Homes. What was that, around 2003
1: then? What 2003, was yeah. 2003, a, yeah. Right out of a school. A sweet uh, 91 Toyota Corolla with all kinds yeah. of tools <laughs> in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you were out in the field
0: building and just enjoyed it. And what What do you, I mean, you talked a little bit about your experience coming up into Uh, How you got into uh, home building, but you know, being in the field when you were construction manager at that point in time, what were some of the things that you really enjoyed about being out there and and building homes?
1: Um, You know, for sure, variety. The the day is never the same uh, when you're out in the field. Um, Problem solving is is a huge piece of it, right? But um, I, I think for me, it was just seeing something go from paper, which there's a statistic somewhere that only about five percent or ten percent of people can visualize something on paper. What it what it's really like when it's built. So seeing seeing that idea on paper grow and come out of the ground and know that I built that, that I managed that, that I put it together, that I I, I put together a nice quality product. And then, of course, um, we're in a business to customer relationship. That that piece of me working directly with a customer and. It's the largest purchase typically for them in their life, and the the emotion that goes with it, but the joy that kind of comes out of it in the end when you see them move into that house and be part of that community, you you feel it. You're changing their life for sure.
0: What I really like about just building things, we were talking about the weed whacker before and such, is just that pride of workmanship to be able to look back. You know, I love it when I when I do a project, even at home, a simple thing, right. And I get done with it. I might be tired or I might be sweating. I might go take a shower or whatever it is. When I'm when I get my head clear, I come back out and I just take a look at it. Like, I yeah, you know what? I did that. You know, I built that or I, I fixed that. And that's one of the great things that I love about the, the construction industry is you know, you're building something, and every day you're improving or adding on to a bigger piece of something that in the end becomes this beautiful mm-hmm. project that is gonna last for 75, hundred years. Um, and, and to be able to go back and see it. I mean, I drive through some of the neighborhoods that I built when I originally started here in, in, um, in Milwaukee in 1994 and to see just the change in the community, the lo- the, the way that people have more personalized now, uh, their, their home, their neighborhood, their yard, what have you. And just to know that I had a part in, in, in building that for that family or for multiple families at that point that have been in the home, um, And that's one of the things I really enjoy about this. Now, as we talked early here uh, in the intro about just the need for skilled trades people, and um, a lot of it really comes from people not recognizing the opportunity that may be there. And there's this big project now that um, is building a skilled trades center, workforce center in Madison, the McKenzie Regional Workforce Center. And I know you've been involved in that because you were the the, the the MABA, the Madison Area Builders Association president. You're still involved in leadership there. So you've had a lot of involvement in helping to bring that on. Can you tell us first kind of how you got involved uh, in that in the McKenzie Regional Center? How, how did it come to be? Share that a little bit with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, I've been um, on the leadership of the Madison Area Builders Association now, for, I think I'm in my sixth year, I was uh, immediate past president, serving my last year on the board. But uh, I would say probably the first year that I was on the board of directors, uh, a, it started with a vision. Uh, a gentleman named John McKenzie, who is a longtime uh, association member here in Madison. He runs um, apartment, uh, McKenzie Apartments, um, building um, a lot of apartments across the Madison area. He um, came to MABA and uh, the Boys and Girls Club. He was involved with the Boys and Girls Club with Dane County as well and said, Hey, we've been talking about this problem for years, right? Um, ever since we've been coming out of the recession. And he said, I, I'll I'll put up um, a fair amount of money and build a building if you two, or, or buy a building, if you two will get together and pool your resources um, within Dane County. And, um, create a workforce center that will train kids. So um, most of you probably know a fair amount of uh, Boys and Girls Club, but they are typically serving inner city or lower income areas and um, have a, again, a pool of kids that just need an opportunity. Um, And I was talking to one of the directors at the Boys and Girls Club back in December. Um, She moved from, cincinnati area and she was telling me about a study that they did with their kids uh there in their program there and just just did a simple project uh, a study of putting tools in front of them Hmm. and you know was hammers and screwdrivers and wrenches and most of these kids most of them could identify a hammer Um, but the other tools maybe five percent could identify what a wrench is and what a wrench does so i think that's a lot of what this is about is you know there's 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 resources there are people out there that would love to do what you and i do and work with our hands and tinker and and, and like to see things built but they just don't have the opportunity they don't have yeah the
0: exposure to it right the the exposure because a lot of it's just where there's a lot of you know what i call the digital natives the kids that grow up with technology and and how they they look at that that's their tactile component of it we're when you and I grew up, we didn't have—we're digital immigrants. We didn't really have the technology, so so our enjoyment came from tinkering with things. You know, mm-hmm. we I didn't have an iPhone that I could play a, a game on or build something on the phone or on the computer or what have you. Um, we had to go out in the garage or go out in the yard and uh, and do things, and and that's what kind of helped us mentally growing and, and and feeling like we're actually doing something in the day rather than just sit on the couch. Right.
1: And, and, and honestly, a lot of a lot of the kids that they're serving to are coming out of apartments. They're not yeah. in a house where maybe their parents are having to do maintenance. You know, you, sure. you call you call the landlord and that's all taken you know, care of. for You You have no need to fix anything.
0: So when we look at this, this, this regional workforce center, that's that's being developed there in Madison. Talk a little bit about how it's how it's growing, growing, how it's going, how it's growing and how the scope of the project is is changed. As the more the community became aware of it, because I know early on the expectations were they sounded pretty reasonable. But it just seems like since then, it's just exploded in terms of an opportunity and the involvement, the excitement.
1: Absolutely. It has. Yeah. It kind of started out, like I said, as an idea um, five to six years ago. Um, the scope was more location than anything. We want it to be in a certain area um, that would be right off a of bus line against removing barriers, right? Like how do how do we make sure we can get kids uh, to this facility as easily as possible and give the most kids the opportunity? But we looked at dozens and dozens of buildings um, over the last five years and could just never really find the space. I mean, the scope at that point was up to a million dollars for a building and then maybe a $500,000 renovation project. And MABA had committed to raising a quarter million dollars and, you know, hopefully we could figure out how the other quarter million was going to be raised, um, to make this happen. And we just could not find the right spot, right location. And about a year ago, I think it was in March of 2021, uh, a building became available that we toured and it was perfect. And we, you know, boys and girls club and Maba got there and looked at it and just started to kind of dream about the space. Uh, that building was purchased in June, and from about June on, once this went public, it just exploded like nothing I've ever seen. I, I want to say, Tim, by August or September, um, donations had come in to the tune of 10 to 11 million dollars in two or three months. So so now you got these two groups kind of figuring out, like, what, what are we doing now? <laughs> we, we've got we can change the scope of this thing. Um, pretty quickly, so yeah, the the outpouring and the vision uh, changed into a completely different project. Of now, now we've got the opportunity to really make a world class facility um, to to really give these kids an opportunity. So currently, it's um, budgeted about an eight million dollar renovation uh, that is breaking ground here uh, on the renovation this month. Um, we're in the month of April and should be finished by next March.
0: That's awesome. That's incredible. What a, what a great project, Danny. So, Danny, now talk to me a little bit about the the spaces that uh, the different spaces that are in this building. I mean, I've seen the rendering of the building um, and it looks it looks large. It looks like it's got some great space, um, but I know it's also kind of broken up into different kind of compartments based on different skills that you want to train on. Can you kind of share a little bit of the variety and the different hands-on learning that are going to be in that space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't have square footage numbers in front of me, but um, there's basically spaces large enough for students to work on building projects simultaneously hands-on, right? So enough space to frame up walls and small rooms so that you can learn not just by hearing and, and seeing from traditional instruction, but learn by doing. We can put electrical in the walls Uh, Plumbing, HVAC, drywall, and then tear it back down again. So pretty large space for that. Again, simultaneous projects running um, at at times. There's traditional instructional classrooms um, and simulation rooms uh, where kids can learn things like welding and other technical skills. Um, In addition to that, lots of office space, other meeting rooms, a commercial kitchen Hmm. locker rooms and showers um, and then some great outdoor spaces as well outdoor terrace spaces that will be large enough for hosting classes as well as special events so again really I mean when this exploded right it's it, the the scope could change dramatically that we could make sure um, we're offering all kinds of spaces to make sure that you're getting that tactile learning but also that classroom learning how many kids do you th- what what is
0: it project Projected as to how many kids are going to go through this program annually, Danny. Do you have a feel for for that number? Um, you know, we talking hundreds? Are we talking, uh, or are we talking um, you know thousands? I mean, what kind of uh, and, and any any number amount is is absolutely wonderful. It's an opportunity for yeah. these kids to. But what is the projection? Is there a number out there that they're a goal that they want?
1: I, I think initially they're they're thinking that we can move two to three hundred. Okay. Uh, kids through these programs annually
0: annually that's fantastic okay. that's great so in those kids are going to be uh you know they're are they still going to be in in high school or are they going to be postgraduate is there like a the a kind of a, a relationship with the schools that the kids can participate in this program
1: while going to high school yes it's it's really aimed at um maybe as as young as junior high, but primarily high school, and then some young adults uh, for the programs. So why is it so
0: important for to get kids involved in these types of programs, Danny? Well, you
1: know, we've so. talked about opportunity already, right? Like it's, it's it's about providing an opportunity to give kids another path towards contribution. Um, other than the typical path that's currently, and when you and I were in school, that was was pushed to us was a four-year degree. Right, right. Right. So, I mean, I never really heard or thought of anything other than going school. to college. And I went oh. to college not knowing really what I was going to do, but that was that was the thing to do. Right.
0: And you figure it out once you get there. Right. That's the whole concept. Yeah. If you don't know going into it, you're supposed to figure it out when you get there. Well, that's a that's a pretty big bet on a school loan, if, especially if you're on school loans. to Well, figure it out when you get there. It's a big financial commitment. If you're not sure what you're getting into, if you're going to go to college.
1: Absolutely. So this is this huge. This is all 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 paid. And we'll talk about self-funding in a minute, but there's no cost to the kids that get into this program. So it's really an opportunity for them to get a leg up on if they are going to go into traditional schools to kind of figure out what they what they like, but also earn credits towards some high school, um, their high school degree, but also some post-secondary education. well. So, Danny, let's let's talk about how
0: does it come to be that these kids are able to get, Do not pay a fee or be, you know, like in some apprenticeship programs, there's, there is a commitment, a financial commitment, not a big one, but still a financial commitment to be involved in the program. How is the Workforce Center, as a nonprofit, and, and how does it remain um, essentially self-sustainable uh, in the future for, from a funding point of view?
1: That that scope also changed in the last you know six months. Where the vision again, when we we had almost over ten million dollars come in in a couple months, um, uh-huh. the vision became all right. We're, we're going to build a state of the art um, facility, but we don't want it to be a flavor of the year. We don't yeah. want it to be a one hit wonder. So how how does how does this self sustain, and how do we not diminish our resources year after year? And if you know anything about nonprofits they're typically in fundraising mode all the time uh, Mm -hmm. because they're zero balancing their budget. You know, they're not making a profit. They're having to go out to donors their members um, to stay viable year after year. And if we're going to create a great opportunity for kids year after year, we had to find a way one to make it very uh, cost neutral or low cost barrier for them to enter into this program. uh, But then also make sure it was sustainable. So uh, the current fundraising goal is thirty-five million dollars, which is a huge number—way, way higher than mm-hmm. we started to date. five um, million dollars, thirty-five million dollars, and to and date. Where did,
0: where did you start? What was the again? Back to the expectation piece because I want to set the tone for this because it's been phenomenal the the support that you've got when you started. What was the expectation dollar again?
1: Well, you know, I, honestly, I don't even remember an expectation dollar as far as. Or a conversation around self-sustainability. Okay. It was yeah. more of, we're going to figure it out as we do it. But there was a $1 million commitment to find a building. Right. right. Uh, so we didn't have that burden of a building uh, payment and about a half a million dollar fundraising goal to make it ready right. for this program, program that we were we we're right.
0: going to try to create. Yeah. So, so, so roughly... One point five million dollars. You know, one million for the building, five hundred thousand for the build out. And I know there's a lot of trade partners and suppliers that are in like kind donations, right? But if you could hit that one point five million, and even hit two million, it would be oh my gosh, huge success, right? Yeah. And now I remember,
1: I remember the Boys and Girls Club coming to us and asking us to double our donation efforts, and and the board was you know a little timid about that. Like it's it's a lot to kind of ask, you know, our our organization runs on about a million dollar budget a year. So for us to kind of up our game by 50% and going to our members to ask for donations felt a little scary.
0: But as another nonprofit operation, the Madison area building association, you you know, that's really where they're trying to hit you up for, to, to double your efforts in fundraising.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, $35 million now. And to date we're just under 21 million donated. That's incredible. So, so the goal is is self-funding now at this point, right? Like uh, we're making sure that the uh, workforce center has all the resources that needs. Um, We'll talk about programming in a minute, which is part of that as well. Uh, But it's, we're creating an endowment fund that will literally self-sustain this program for decades to come.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Danny, this has been such a great success. Um, for, for the Madison Area, the Madison Area Builders Association. And of course, as I understand it from the Boys and Girls Club perspective, what is the opportunity to use the great success that you've had, the, the template that you've used um, to have an opportunity for others, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club or other nonprofits like that, to expand this uh, across the country?
1: Well, it is uh, officially now a beta test program for a national pilot program. Um, between the National Association of Home Builders and Boys and Girls Club of America. So we definitely drew attention when, you know, when you raise uh, eight figures like that pretty quickly. Some attention is brought uh, to the project. And in February at uh, our annual International Builder Show, it was down in Florida this year. um, There was a partnership, a formal partnership announced between uh, the Boys and Girls Club of America and the National Association of Home Builders. And we were, of course, highlighted and what we were doing, and got to tell our story at that event. And and the goal now is how can we copy this across every major U.S. city across the United States. I believe at that event there were at least six kind of formal um, signups that were already happening uh, in six other cities. So it's gaining traction, um, and it'll be it'll be neat to watch. It'll be neat to watch this project, of course, go up this year, but then see. How that inspires and kind of carries out to some other cities across our country
0: well i tell you what um this has been very inspiring danny and what you guys have done as leaders in the in the madison area is is just incredible to be able to to start with a feeling that success is getting to two million now being at 21 and moving that that goal to 35 million it's just incredible what you guys have done in in a short period of time and kudos to all of the trade partners and the rest of the construction industry that really recognizes this as an opportunity and, and for uh, McKinsey to step up and really kind of get this ball rolling. It really just takes that one person to say, I've, I've got this idea. I've got this vision. I can commit to this part of at least getting a structure in place for classrooms to be made, but I need the help of others. And then you guys all just rallying around this project to make it as successful as it is. Um, and the national recognition that you've got. I really hope that others can see this as an opportunity. Uh, again, Boys and Girls Clubs, um, other other nonprofits that uh, kind of are similar to that. Um, but there, there's still a, a an opportunity here for others to get involved. How can others um, continue to help support this effort, whether in the industry, from in the industry, or out of the industry? What are some other things that maybe some of our listeners might know of some opportunities? or some people that are, would be excited to support something like this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if you can provide links in the, in the podcast notes, but if you go to our builders associations website, which is M a B a dot there's a link um, on that website. You'll see up in the upper right-hand corner that will link you right to the page um, specifically for the regional workforce center. And, um, so, definitely check that out. But in, in uh, addition to that, we're looking for involvement, especially if you're local and if this is something that you're interested in. Um, three to, you know, two to three or 400 kids per year is going to take people who are interested in being educators and mentors. The goal is that every kid that goes through this program has a direct mentor that's helping them get through the program um, so that we can get these kids placed, they have somebody to bounce their you know their first career off of their first job opportunity off Mm -hmm. of and establish those relationships so there's definitely education and mentorship involvement and then of course you know we're still looking for another almost 15 million dollars so
0: yeah donations help as well well i love the volunteer aspect because that that is just it's time and time is money for people i get that but even if you don't have the the ability to contribute financially Um, There's some great people out there that could be great mentors to these kids, and like you said, help them be there for them to ask questions about the industry, about a career, how they can get more involved with uh, other suppliers, trades, construction organizations, and I think this is really a game-changing piece for our industry, Danny, and um, what Mackenzie has done, the boys along with the boys and girls clubs, the Madison Area Builders Association, um, is is. Like I said, it's just a game changing element for our industry. And if we're uh, going to be able to keep up and and, and reduce this um, imbalance in supply and demand in the housing market, we need more skilled trades people uh, to help support building enough households, uh, enough homes for to meet the household uh,
1: demand. You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is that the sheer shortage of work. Workforce uh, in our industry. I read a statistic recently that we need seven hundred and forty thousand new workers that need to join our industry per year through twenty twenty four. Just seven hundred and forty thousand per year for the next yeah new for the next three years in a row to meet the demand, which is such a phenomenal opportunity
0: for 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 kids for young adults. Um, You know the, the employment need in our industry is beyond what other industries need right now. And again, it's a low barrier to entry to get in. And it's a low barrier to entry to actually, uh, over what, five or eight years, to develop your own company, your own business. And I can't tell you, uh, last night we had our vendor appreciation party. Our, our, I think it's our 11th year now that we've done this. And I see uh, tradespeople now that are owners of companies where I remember five years ago or 10 years ago, they were in the field working for someone else and now they own their own business. Yeah. It's, it's, it's inspiring. Lot.
1: It's, it's it fantastic.
0: Danny, anything else to leave us with uh, as we wrap up here? Any other thoughts? Well, thanks, you
1: have? Yeah. Thanks again for the opportunity. It's just, um, it it's just like you, you mentioned it, just how vision, you know, the vision of one person yeah. um, and ins- can lead to inspiration, a little bit of hard work and the excitement that is in Dane County right now around this project is just such a fun thing to be a part of. It's again, a lot of why we do what we do. Right. But uh, yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of vision and hard work goes a long way. So super excited. And I, you know, I hope our listeners are, got some value out of this. And if you're not kind of in the Madison area, hopefully you see something come into a city near you just like this.
0: Well, Danny Lowry, president Tim O'Brien homes of Madison. Thank you so much. Uh, for your time and your commitment to our industry, um, the leadership that you've uh, exhibited on this on this project, and along with the other leaders at, in, in in the organization at Madison Area Builders and and, and the trade partners that you work with, has just been again yeah, truly inspiring. So, thank you so much for sharing your story today. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Tim.